The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Really nice to be here with everyone. Probably a few new people here. So, my name is Mark Nunberg, and I'm the guiding teacher at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis. And this is our Sunday morning weekly practice group. If you're interested in more instructions around the Buddha's teachings on mindfulness of breathing, the coming out of the Anapanasati Sutta, uh, I gave, I don't remember exactly, but 15 to 20 talks for the first quarter of the year. So you could just look either on our YouTube channel or you could go to dharmasi.org and just get the audio. Um, but they're both the uh, video is on the, our YouTube channel and the audio is at dharmacy.org. And just look for those Sunday morning practice group talks from January to sometime in April, and you can get the background for that. And we've moved on. We're looking at another really essential teaching map, you could say, from the early Buddhist tradition called the paramis, these beautiful, these ten beautiful qualities of the heart. And, uh, you know, it can always seem complicated to have to cultivate ten qualities of the heart, just give me one. And I think that actually works. You could just choose one. You get really good at any of these wholesome, beautiful qualities of heart, you'll start noticing all the others. And for example, if we had taken some time near the end of the sit where for at least some of us, maybe the heart and body settled down some. You know, we notice the quality of generosity because that fullness of the presence was really generous. And you'd probably notice that beautiful quality of sila, moral sensitivity or a real devotion to non-harming. It was probably there in a very natural way. And the parami of renunciation that I'll start talking about next Sunday and truthfulness, like really wanting to see and feel things as they are, and energy of persistence and resoluteness and kindness, balance of equanimity. All of those wholesome qualities were probably there to some degree whenever the mind's in a balanced, skillful place. So I say that just so that we don't feel like, oh, just another long list of things I'm supposed to do but never get to, and I knew I was bad, now this just proves it. <laughs> you know, I'm a bad Buddhist on top of everything else because I haven't perfected the ten paramis. And in a way, you know, it is a bit of a setup because as the sort of legends or mythology or stories in early Buddhism, the Buddha had an incalculable number of lifetimes to perfect these ten qualities, so that when he was born in his last lifetime, as you know, Gotama, this uh, in the Gotama family, Shakyamuni Buddha, this boy, you know, he had already just in his personality all these wholesome tendencies, right? This is the story, and so when he had his deep awakening insight, became really wise. He also just happened to have an excellent personality to be able to be a good teacher and to teach for those 45 years in a way that still reverberates today. So in a way, these are the 
you know, traditionally these ten beautiful qualities. If you want to become a Buddha, before your deep insight, right, you can become awakened and still haven't perfected your personality and have all these wonderful qualities that will allow you to teach in effective ways. You can just be an ordinary awakened one. <laughs> but if you want to be a Buddha, you need to really work on these qualities. But for us, just as an ordinary person trying not to live such a stressful life and, and not contribute to the stress and suffering of others, this is how we turn the corner from thinking that the only way to experience happiness is for me to get something that I want, right? Or get rid of the pain that's in my life. And I think I mentioned this two weeks ago when I taught last, um, that it's a real change of allegiance from where we look for happiness. And when we start cultivating these ten beautiful uh, qualities of the heart, it really represents this new allegiance, like more than having a lot of good stuff, more than getting rid of all the irritants in my life, my refuge for happiness, and I'm just talking about ordinary human happiness, not some lofty, even lofty spiritual awakening now. I'm just talking about feeling good. And, and it's this realization that feeling good on the inside is a much more trustworthy pursuit than feeling good on the outside in the sense of bodily comforts, you know, or whatever it might be, even safety. And feeling good on the inside means that when I <clears throat> check in with my heart, I don't have remorse, right? I, I have these wholesome states of mind, wholesome states of heart that are subtle but deeply satisfying in a world where outer comfort is not dependable. You know, we might have this for a while or that for a while, but... You probably have noticed things keep changing. Seems especially rich now for me just in terms of friends and community leaders that are just facing really difficult circumstances. And just that powerful reminder that anything can happen anytime. And so if we're dependent on our health, I mean, just a simple example, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I mean, I've been generally pretty healthy in my life, and I was playing Frisbee on Memorial Day, and I ran into a steel light pole and smashed my thigh in a, in a real way. And I just have had so much physical pain, especially at night, uh, in a way that I've never had before. You know, I've had, you know, normal, ordinary exposure to physical pain and illness, but nothing extraordinary. And this is, you know, on the really light end of an extraordinary injury. I mean, I could still walk, I could still get around. It just really hurt. And it's just now after almost three weeks starting to like, yeah, it's totally tolerable the to pain now. But for the first couple of weeks, it was really there. And this is just a tiny thing compared to what people, other people are dealing with whether it's financial insecurity or cancer or whatever it might be, oppression of one kind or another, being taken advantage of. So part of what motivates us to pursue these beautiful qualities of heart 
there's sort of a draw, there's two draws. One, they're very protecting, and two, it's like the direct, immediate way to tap into the pleasure of a wholesome mind, a wholesome heart. It's a very real thing. You know, in our ephemeral, <clears throat> changing, and uncertain world, it's like it's much more stable for this heart to be grounded in non-stinginess, generosity, grounded in this moral sensitivity of not being devoted to not causing harm, not planting seeds for my own or others' suffering. Like, that's a much more nimble and uh, resilient place of happiness than having a lot of money in the bank or any other number of ways that we might pursue, and we will pursue that relative happiness of financial security and having some good friends and keeping the body healthy as best we can, because all of those things aren't entirely in our control. And nor is even our inner qualities, you know, these wholesome qualities, because we, we all come with our own habit energy, but we can become really competent at keeping, you could say, the eye and the prize. Like here the prize are, is wholesome states of mind. And as a kind of human spiritual challenge, you know, when we wake up, we can recommit. Okay, it's relatively easy, as Sylvia Borstein tells this joke, you know, well, so far today, you know, I've kept my eye on the prize. I've been abiding in states of generosity and kindness and patience and wisdom. But pretty soon I have to get out of bed <laughs> and I have to deal with all the other people in my life and my body and all this, and it's going to be more challenging. So this is when, you know, the joke is now, you know, when things are really easy, but then we have to live our life. We have to deal with all the relationships and all the power dynamics that exist even in the relationships with those we love the most. It's all navigating, you know, our cultural and our specific genetic conditioning, you know, like for example, in this body with testosterone and the cultural conditioning around being a white male, you know, there's like a lot of baggage to that that I have to learn how to sense and be aware of. But one of the things that is more um, available is to value these any of these ten wholesome qualities. So I'll just go through them again so you're better able to keep them in mind. There's generosity, the non-stidginess, the fullness of how we're showing up moment by moment. Even when we're meditating, we can meditate in a stingy way, which doesn't really work, or we can meditate in a full, wholehearted, generous way. There's this, you know, sila generally gets translated as ethical conduct or morality, but it's really this sensitivity of our heart that cares about not harming ourselves or others is profound sensitivity. And really, we relate to that moral sensitivity with a lot of integrity, like 
this sensitivity really matters to me because it protects me. And I think I mentioned the Buddha calls these, the sensitivity, the guardian of the world. Like without it, we're screwed, basically. Without this moral sensitivity, we can justify pretty much anything as we do human, we humans do in moments. And then we pay a long-term price because we said something we shouldn't have said or we didn't speak up when we should have spoken up or we did something we shouldn't have done or we refrained from doing something we should have done, right? So in these ways, then because I wasn't valuing this moral sensitivity, I wasn't listening to the moral heart, the heart that knows when I'm planting seeds for more suffering in the world or when I'm planting seeds for healing in the world. Can I respect it enough to really learn to listen? You know, when's the last time we asked ourselves, okay, you know, this sort of moral wisdom, this moral sensitivity, okay, I have to make this choice. Please inform the decision-making. I really, because what this moral sensitivity is, is just the simple distillation of all the mistakes, all the crazy, stupid things we've done in the past, and all the wise things we've done in the past. And all of that gets distilled as a kind of moral sensitivity. But in a way, we don't want to feel the sensitivity because we feel raw when we feel it. And as a white person, I'll just give this example. And just, you know, I, it was a beautiful block party just a block away from where I live, sponsored by uh, Until We Are All Free and Humanize My Hoodie. Some of you might remember that organization because we had Jason Soule who started that speak at Common Ground, uh, I think it was in November. And then the Birchwood Cafe, one of our local institutions uh, in our neighborhood here, sponsored this great block party um, and mostly black folk doing beautiful music and poetry and, and really powerful speeches. And as a white person, I felt that moral sensitivity like, oh yeah, there's a group of my fellow folks, citizens, community members, who are reverberating with a lot of injustice and pain that I've had the privilege to be mostly oblivious around most of my life. And so it's like this choice we have to make. Do I want to stay attuned to that moral sensitivity or do I prefer to be ignorant? And we only prefer to be ignorant when we're ignorant. When we actually ask that question from a place of being sensitive, nobody consciously chooses to be numb and in denial and unaware. We only make that choice to be numb, in denial, and unaware when we're unaware of the consequences of what that is. So this is really about what we've been talking about the last two weeks I spoke, and uh, today will be the last day we're talking about sila, moral sensitivity. It's really this, uh, we want to have it almost this sensitivity which is raw, and often unpleasant in the sense of it's giving us feedback all the time. And because we live in a world that is these reverberations of power, taking advantage of its power, 
to keep its power, right? That's always the way it is, and probably maybe always the way it will be. It will be just a question of whether power sees the big picture ever. So that when when power sees the big picture, then we realize, you know what, we're in it together. And it won't feel good if my well-being comes at the expense of your well-being. That won't really be my well-being, will it? But when I'm willing to be numb and in denial and unaware, we imagine that my well-being is great, even if it comes at the expense of your well-being. And it will never be perfect because this world is life-eating life, right? So I'm not one of these people who imagine some utopia where everything's roses or something like that. But, but I've paid attention enough to realize that that moral sensitivity is a really trustworthy place for happiness, for well-being. Caring is better than imagining that I don't care or pretending. Really, it's, it's a kind of diluted pretending that it doesn't matter. It's not my problem. I didn't make that happen. That's their karma or whatever we might think about the suffering around us. And this is the, this is the, you know, I always joke about the warning sign we should have on the building or at the beginning of our Zoom programs, you know, warning, if you follow these teachings from the Buddha, you're going to become a more sensitive human being in all kinds of ways. And you will find that really hard to bear. But the great thing is, it will force you to develop wisdom and love, because it's the only way to handle the sensitivity that comes from the cultivating of this mindful awareness. We become profoundly sensitive. We feel everything. We connect with the mosquito that lands on us. We may still brush it away. I was briefly tormented by a mosquito last night, somehow got in the house just as I was trying to fall asleep. You know, and I, the way I moved the blankets, I, it was not without some violence you know, to keep it off of me. And I don't feel good about that. Even that sort of protecting myself from getting bit and just being rough. I don't know what happened to the mosquito. I know it stopped bothering me. So I could have harmed it in some way. I don't really know. But I feel badly about it. And I'm not saying that it's, you know, was right or wrong. I'm just saying that my heart is sensitive even to something like that. And earlier in the morning when I was down in the basement, we have a sink and there's a big centipede in our sink in the basement, you know, couldn't get out. And it, that little thing breaks my heart a little bit. So I put a towel so it could climb out of the sink and not be trapped there until it dies of dehydration or whatever. Right? So these simple things that, you know, oh, I don't really want to feel that. And every time we walk down the block, there's a, a little bunny that's been slowly de uh, dissolving. You know, it got killed maybe a couple of weeks ago. It's just on the side of the sidewalk there. You know, and it's just, oh yeah, this is how it is. You know, beings are born, they get eaten, they get killed. This is how it is. And it that sensitivity just makes me more sensitive as I navigate my life, more caring taking care of myself and taking care of others. It doesn't give us a roadmap of what to do and don't do. That's why it's trustworthy. 
it's just like this raw feeling. It, it's like a smell test. Like how does how is my heart feeling? And before we end this morning, we'll do the recitation of the refuges and precepts because one of the things as Ajahn Sumedho, a really important teacher of mine, and many of us, one of our senior teachers in the Western, you know, Theravada early Buddhist tradition. Let me see if I can find that quote because I just found it really useful. Um, Yeah, he said, we must be honest about our confusion and willing to experiment with the tools that the wise ones have offered us. So it's like these five precepts, undertaking the training to refrain from harming and killing living beings, undertaking the training to refrain from taking that which, which hasn't been given to us, undertaking the training to refrain from sexual misconduct, undertaking the training to refrain from false speech, you know, and all the ways we use speech as a weapon or as just a way to fill up space. And the last, the fifth one is undertaking the training to refrain from intoxicating the mind in ways that make us more negligent, more unaware. Okay? So, you know, we could argue forever about exactly what five precepts or five trainings we should take on and how to language them. And people do. <laughs> but the question is, maybe these are good enough because what we want these, there's there's sort of a, a set of tools that will help illuminate places in our life that we want to rely on our moral sensitivity, that integrity we have around non-harming. So when we, you know, practice taking on this precept, this training, we resolve, you know, basically, I want to, anytime I'm close to causing harm or killing another being, I want a very powerful mindfulness spell to go off that says, honey, Pay attention. This is a relevant moment in your life. Wake up. Right? Anytime I'm, I might be taking more than my share or unaware how by me taking this, by me consuming this, harm is being caused, I want to wake up. Anytime, really, probably anytime we're involved in sexual activities, just because it cuts so deep, and just the way we've been conditioned as human beings around sexuality, I just want to be really awake so that I'm not, you know, unaware in an unaware way, using my power to get feel good or just causing harm in one little or big way, which we, you know, think about the enormity of the suffering around sexual activities. I mean, it's inconceivable how much suffering has happened, how much long-time trauma, how much broken hearts, how much whatever has come, feeling of not belonging. And then the fourth, you know, just how powerful our words are, both the words we speak 
and the words we don't speak that we really should be speaking because something we're the person who sees clear more clearly in that moment and it's our responsibility to illuminate it for those we're in community with oh yeah i really should have said that but i was afraid and then the last is just realizing we all like to get high in our own ways right whether it's alcohol or media or drugs or caffeine or whatever it might be <clears throat> but the more we value moral sensitivity then <clears throat> we're willing to change our behaviors so that we're not doing anything that covers up the the raw sensitivity of our moral heart because we don't want to make mistakes cause harm because we were negligent or because we covered up you know we got drunk or whatever and then during that time our moral sensitivity didn't operate very well so part of that it's not that it's inherently wrong to you know use plant medicine or whatever you like using to uh, alter your state of consciousness it's just that our responsibility to each other to ourselves and to each other doesn't go away ever and we're always in the vicinity of causing each other harm and because we value the kind of happiness that comes from really training ourselves to listen to be in alignment with our moral sensitivity the devotion to non-harming why would we and it's really paying back like our life is going better because of that why would we cover it up by you know using drugs or alcohol in ways that make us negligent or unaware we wouldn't and of course i'm not preaching telling people exactly what to do except see if this is worthy of deep valuing and then that will naturally change your behaviors around you know other things in your life there's a famous uh teaching in the buddhist tradition from shanti deva i think he's like a ninth century buddhist saint in northern india and he said something like we are senseless children who shrink away from suffering but we really like the causes for suffering right? we really like to do stuff that cause suffering but we don't want to suffer and this is like part of valuing the moral sensitivity and having that really sensitive heart like that just discerns and senses when we're in the vicinity of causing ourselves and others harm it's like we're maturing we're not just willing to act out our habit energy or our instincts we want to kind of fully inhabit this world of being a moral morally sensitive being so that i have now the capacity to refrain from acting out my instinct cuz i feel my instinct causing that impulse to do something for example but because i'm mindfully aware and because the moral sensitivity is saying whoa i don't like where this is going then we have this power we can have this power of restraint like i don't have to act out my habitual impulses or instinctual impulses because i can feel them i can feel the force of the impulse without acting it out and that's what moral sensitivity gives us it's like it gives us the possibility of breaks 
Imagine if we did everything we had the impulse to do. It wouldn't, it wouldn't go so well, would it? You know, there would really not be anything but chaos in the world. Like those uh, apocalyptic movies we seem to like, you know, where everyone's out for themselves and it's really ugly. So I want to go through the uh, precepts now. <clears throat> and, and really the way the Buddha thinks of these precepts, these trainings, it's the greatest gift we can give ourselves and each other. And he says that specifically in one of the passages that taking on these precepts with a lot of integrity, these mindfulness trainings around non-harming, not taking what hasn't been given, and um, uh, refraining from sexual misconduct, and from using speech as a kind of weapon to cause harm, and intoxicating the mind. This is a great gift. Better than feeding the monks and nuns is to commit. And, and I think one of the reasons the Buddha highlights this, it's our first step towards independence. It's like this um, listening to our moral sensitivity is really making the transmission uh, transition from like dependent on my wise teacher or the wise tradition to tell me what to do in my life to realizing that actually our own experience and the sensitivity of our, that arises from our own experience is actually a more trustworthy teacher for us than any external tradition or teacher. And we all have to navigate this transition from a, a necessary, initially a necessary reliance on external sources to this turning inward so that our actual teacher we end up with is our own direct experience. If we do that too soon, we're screwed. If we wait too long, we waste time. And so at some point, and this is really the point where we realize, I do have this moral sensitivity. I may not have paid attention to it as much as I should, but it's here right now. So if you would, um, I just put a link in the chat, and you can open that up. And one of the things in that link is just the link if you want to make a donation, and the links to the two books that, for some of you who want to do more study, you could read along with us these months, because, you know, we'll be doing this for a couple months. One from, this one is from Ajahn Sushito, this one's from Sylvia Burstein, two wonderful books about these ten qualities. But the top link is for the Common Grounds precept, uh, Refuge and Precept uh, Ceremony or Recitation. And we do this every solstice and every uh, equinox, so this is the time, and it fits nicely with the talk this morning. So we'll just do this recitation together online. And um, the refuges, taking refuge in the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, it's really just the remembering our practice. It's kind of early Buddhist code for what are we doing? Oh yeah, I'm valuing Buddha, which just means to be awake, being open, being intimate. With what? Oh, I value Dhamma. That's the way it is. The immediacy of what's coming and going in the moment. Buddha being intimate with Dhamma. And when I do that, when I'm in moments living with this open, clear, exposure to the way that it is, 
then my response, the moral response, is sangha. That's the third refuge. It's an enlightened response because I'm living out of the intimacy of Buddha, knowing Dhamma. And then we'll do the five precepts so we can practice in community, taking up these five trainings that I've been talking about today. So let's do that. So open that up if you haven't. We begin, feel free to use that gesture, Anjali. It's just a nice kind of gesture of respect. If you like it, use it. Don't feel like you have to, of course. And we're going to start by just acknowledging our teacher, this person who lived 2,500 years ago. I'll ring the bell three times. Just follow along with me. I'll talk us through it. And if you just want to listen, that's okay too. So first we acknowledge the Buddha, homage to the Buddha three times. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. And then we'll take the refuges three times. And we use Pali for this. Buddhang saranangachami, dhammang saranangachami, sangang saranangachami, dutiampi. That just means for the second time. Buddhang saranangachami, dutiampi, dhammang saranangachami. Dutiampi sangang saranangachami. Tatiampi buddhang saranangachami. Tatiampi damang saranangachami. Tatiampi sangang saranangachami. Now you can turn the page or scroll down to the precepts and we'll do. The five precepts will uh, do the Pali, I'll chant the Pali, and then uh, we'll read the English together out loud. Of course, you all will be muted. And then we'll take 30 seconds or so, and you can read the comment that's quoted underneath. That's from Thich Nhat Hanh, a very respected elder uh, from Vietnam originally, who's taught in the West for a number of decades, and now is quite old back in Vietnam. And it's just his reflections on each of the five precepts. So let's do the first precept, first in Pali. Panati pata where amani sika padang samariami. I undertake the training to refrain from harming living beings. And just reflect for a few seconds on what that might feel and look like, or read what Tiknan Han wrote. Now the second. Adinadana where amani sikapadang samariami. I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which is not given. So again, just reflecting for a few seconds.
another third. Kame su mitchachara, where amini sikapadang samariyami. I undertake the training to refrain from causing harm through sexual misconduct. So a little reflection now on what that looks like in our lives. Now the fourth, <clears throat> Musawada, where Amani Sikapadangsa Mariami. I undertake the training to refrain from false and harmful speech. Reflect. And now the fifth. Sura Maria Majapamaratana where Ammani Sikapadangsa Mariami. I undertake the training to refrain from the misuse of intoxicants. And then we end with a little blessing you see at the bottom. Ida me silang magafalanyana sa pachayo ho tu. May my conduct conduce to attainment of the highest fruits of liberation. Taking refuge, undertaking the five mindfulness trainings, the precepts, and practicing the way of awareness and insight gives rise to benefits without limit. I offer to share all blessings and merit with my parents, teachers, family and friends, and with all beings everywhere. May this life and practice contribute to the great stream of causes and conditions leading to happiness, peace, justice, liberation for all beings. May all beings be happy. So just an encouragement to work with these five trainings, these five precepts, and really commit as, as a kind of outer symbol of this growing, deepening moral sensitivity, because they'll illuminate those places in life. That's really what they're there for. Um, so if you repeat them every day or once a week or something like that, in a way that... Um, elicits some respect, inner respect for them. So don't just do them casually um, while you're driving in traffic. I mean, it may be better than nothing, but to kind of find a time when your mind is settled so when you bring them to mind, you're, you're, uh, that bringing them to mind or saying them out loud, it leaves an impression in your mind stream. Like you're different because you've been remembering them and you've been remembering your commitment to these trainings. And again, it's not about a should and a shouldn't, it's really about illuminating 
places in your life where we tend to cause ourselves and others suffering so that we can have more well-being in our lives. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.